I think it's a huge issue in it's classic politics, right? Where you have a problem and instead of being honest and addressing it, it's so easy to kick that can down the road and just hope it goes away or it's gone when you're out of office and you don't have to worry about it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of regular people on the street don't pay attention to it, whether they're the ones receiving a pension or, of course, a taxpayer who's helping support it. All these pensions that are underfunded, and yet we've been in a 10-year bull market, which is one of the main ways to have it grow. What's going to happen if we have two, three, four years of negative growth, market takes a big correction? Some of these plans will be you know, unrecoverable. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George Round, only available at stboyer.com. Now enjoy this interview. Hello, welcome to Rethinking a Dollar. Today I'm excited to have first-time guest, Mr. Donald Dempsey. He's a certified financial planner and the owner of Dempsey Investment Management, LLC. And today Donald joins us to share his thoughts on the economy, financial markets, as well as the impact of monetary policies on retirement planning. So, Donald, welcome to Rethinking a Dollar. Hey, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, following your show for quite a while. It's nice to finally meet face-to-face here. Thank you for sharing those kind of words, and I appreciate you joining us here. And so definitely, uh, I, I thought about retirement planning, and I know that you have a, a book, uh, a, a fictional book, in relation to the whole pension aspect, so we're definitely going to get into that. But before we dive any further, for those that may not know Donald Dempsey, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you've arrived at this point in your career? Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm an independent financial planner. I uh, my, started my field with Charles Schwab quite a while ago. I worked for them for about nine years here in the Burlington, Vermont area, and went out on my own as an independent planner and investment advisor back in early 05. So I've been out on my own for quite a while doing that. And I primarily work with individuals, you know, your, your basic mom and pop who saved up, trying to retire, trying to think about college, cover healthcare costs, um, you know, running plans that look at their pensions, insurance, all those types of issues that they need to think about that are critical. So yeah, I'm a certified planner and like I said, I've been doing that for quite a while. And so let's dive in more to the nitty gritty of the, of the interview today. And so uh, the name of the show is Rethinking a Dollar. And so what I like to do is kind of give people a different way of looking at uh, just monetary issues in general in regards to our national currency, if you're here in the U.S. And so the Federal Reserve note, also known as a dollar, because there's a lot of things that's been happening over the last several decades, which also impacts us on a daily basis. And so when it comes to rethinking the dollar, um, I like to just get people to think beyond the Federal Reserve note, because in my opinion, one day in the near future, it won't be as uh, prevalent as an international currency. Uh, nevertheless, here domestically, being able to purchase as much as you used to back in the past. So for you personally, uh, what comes to mind when Donald Dempsey hears the words, rethinking the dollar? Well, as I said, I have followed your show and, and others as well that cover a lot of these same concerns. So yeah, I, you know, the federal deficit is just too big and, and I have the same concerns that eventually it's just going to implode or something's going to happen. And it's really a challenge trying to plan because I'm trying to look way down the road. So how do you, how do you balance that risk now versus risk that may come up, whether it's two years from now or 20 or 50 years from now? Um, so, you know, we try to address it by looking at some alternatives, maybe some precious metals, but just trying to get growth 
And then, you know, with planning, I'm, I'm thinking about, hey, can we count on, say, that Social Security down the road? Can you count on that pension? Um, you know, what, what can you do now with your life to better prepare for that? Whether it's, you know, saving more, paying down debt, increasing your job skills, um, just anything that will make you more bulletproof down the road. Because, um, like, when I, run, when I run projections now, I put Social Security in there. And I tell people, I think it'll be there because the federal government can just write a check. But what's it going to buy you? That's the critical thing. So when I run a plan, I try to over-inflate expenses or inflation rates and decrease growth rates. Um, I never use like 10%. I'll use like five or six. And um, Social Security, I'll put almost like no growth at all, assuming that at some point there's going to have to be cuts, whether it's through inflation, which is the easy way to do it, or with actual cuts. So, you know, I'm very concerned long-term for my clients that um, that inflation is going to take hold and their, their buying power just won't be there, especially if they have a lot of fixed rate uh, income sources like pensions, Social Security. Yeah, it has some inflation protection, but I don't think it keeps up with the true cost of inflation. So, so monetary policy has a lot of impacts that uh, are being felt short term, but more than likely will be felt long term as you listed a couple of things that I'm assuming you're concerned with. So uh, let's dive a little deeper. And so as of now, at this current moment, as a financial planner, you're, uh, you've taken the, the, the privileged opportunity to help people with their financial planning for the future. And so my first question for you is, you know, at this current moment, based upon all the things happening around us, what are some things that really concerns you the most? I think the, I think long-term inflation is a big one. Again, it's not like today, but you're going to see it over time. And the, the challenge has been that the interest rates are so low that if I want to be safe, like if somebody's nervous about the market, they don't really know where to go it's hard to come up with that easy answer. Like, well, let's just park it here and make a decent rate of return because the rates are so low. Um, so it, that challenge I think a lot of advisors and investors have is how do you keep up with inflation and growth in a market where there's maybe a lot of risk? Um, so that, that's the biggest challenge, I think, as far as like what I can do investment-wise. Planning-wise, I think there's other things we can do, like I talked about earlier, to try to rein in expenses, um, pay down debt, some easier solutions that will make it easier down the road. Now, you mentioned inflation. And so uh, there's pretty much two different uh, narratives of inflation. We have the CPI given mm -hmm. by the U.S. Census Bureau. And, and the Federal Reserve always referred to the fact that they're trying to find 2%. No matter what they do, they can't manage to find 2% inflation rate. And so that's what policy seems to be implemented upon or uh, focused on is finding 2% inflation. So I'm assuming, do, do you utilize those metrics that the Federal Reserve, where they can't find 2%, or do you have other sources that gives you more of a real world um, indicator of what inflation really is like for your average investor? And right. Yeah. <clears throat> I think most people can find 2% pretty easily. Um, I, I hear that my health insurance bill will go up 10% this year. So that's pretty real. Um, my property tax rates seem to go up more than 2% a year food costs. So maybe the cost of a computer might go down, but pretty much things that people need and live are going up way more than 2% a year. Um, I, I think when I started my business back in 05, my health insurance plan was like, I want to say it was like 350, maybe 400 a month. And now it's 1200. <laughs> so, you know, 12 years, that's more than 2% a year. 
um, my cost of insurance, uh, everything for everybody is, is going up way more. And, and that's why I, when I run these projections, I try to inflate well over 2%. Um, so I, I don't know why the government wants to have inflation. Well, I think I know why, but I don't think most people want inflation. Um, but it's certainly above two from what I can see. Yeah. And then earlier on, you mentioned, you know, inflation being a concern. And uh, as a as a uh, provider of uh, financial information, you're looking for a yield. And so we know that uh, the public pensions and just retirement vehicles in general, because of policies implemented, um, it makes it very difficult and challenging. Let's talk about some of the challenges that you have actually be able to place people's individual accounts and in, in, in products that produce a yield over the long term. How, is, how has that been impacted by inflation and the whole situation with the interest rates not necessarily being what they used to be maybe a decade or two ago? Oh, well, yeah, especially if people want to be like safe. Like normally you might think of an investment advisor figuring out somebody's risk profile and then say putting 40 or 50% in, in fixed income or bonds. Well, you know, at one point, 10 years ago, you could make five, 6% just being in a money market almost. And now, you know, a lot of bonds are paying one to 3%. So then they have to come back and say, well, that's not enough growth, certainly to keep up with inflation. And then you add taxes on top of that. You're kind of forced to decide, well, do we take on more risk or do we just have to find a way to cut back? You know, if they need that to live on. Um, you know, think about a retiree that maybe said they had a million dollars in CDs 10 years ago. Maybe they're making 50000 a year. Now they're making, you know, 15000 or, you know, 15000 maybe twenty. So it's, it's a huge challenge. And, but what you find is a lot of people don't want to be risky or aggressive. So then they might just be willing to park it there. And every year their standard of living is going down because they're not keeping up with the cost. Or they have to eat into their principal to, to pay today's bills. And then what are they going to be left with five, 10 years down the road? Yeah. You mentioned eating into principal. And so first thing that came to mind is what's happening over in the EU area where they have a lot of uh, government bonds yielding negative, uh, ter right. negative territory. So I imagine, for example, let's put ourselves in the shoes of an individual over in Europe. And if you were a financial planner, per se, in Europe, working with individuals there in that type of environment, you know, what are some things or how would you be addressing that on, on, on a situation that, you know, you're giving money and you're getting less back if you're using the bonds that the government issues over there? Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not dealing with that yet. <laughs> Maybe we will at some point. But I, I think that's what you're seeing is they'll come to places like the U.S. that have higher yields. You know, why buy a bond that has a negative yield when you can go to the U.S.? You're not making a lot, but at least it's a positive, which is helping you know, bring our rates down because, you know, it's more, more demand. But yeah, I, I can't even imagine being over there trying to figure out what to do, just you know, return of your money and not even all of it. It's just, it's a crazy world. It's upside down. You, you obviously study that, that aspect of it a lot more than I do just dealing with individuals. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't see how that's sustainable long-term, but it's yeah. crazy times. Let's turn back here stateside now. Uh, one thing that I've been drawn to um, just trying to help people better understand is the public pension situation. And so just recently, I've always come across numbers and statistics about different states that are extremely underfunded. And I think about, you know, how will the future pan out for those that are expecting to receive a pension uh, from their, their state or city or whatever they were promised? 
So let's right. talk about uh, promises in regards to retirements and in the form of pensions. Uh, share some of your research of, upon that matters there, because it's, I'm assuming that's a big issue as well. I think that, yeah, I think it's a huge issue in it's classic politics, right? Where you have a problem and instead of being honest and addressing it, it's so easy to kick that can down the road and just hope it goes away or it's gone when you're out of office and you don't have to worry about it. Um, it's interesting. I, a lot of my interest in that area is just from following people like yourself that talk about it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of regular people on the street don't pay attention to it, whether they're the ones receiving a pension or, of course, the taxpayer who's helping support it. And um, at some point, we can chat about the book and how I came to write it. But um, yeah, I, I just think that that problem is, is not going to go away. You know, you think about these all these pensions that are underfunded, and yet we've been in a 10-year bull market which is one of the main ways to have it grow. What's going to happen if we have two, three, four years of negative growth, market takes a big correction, some of these plans will be, you know, unrecoverable. Um, you know, and certainly you, you're well aware of it. Even on your blog the other night, you're talking about Detroit, right? They, right. they went bankrupt, had to reorganize a little bit. People had to take some cuts. I think that's probably going to happen more. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I would imagine you can only have so many cities or states that, you know, run into the problem of just not having enough funds, having more promises and funds available. Right. And so at some point, I would assume federal government has to get involved or complete pandemonium would, would take place, don't you think? Yeah, that's, that's a real wild card, right? If you have a big state that says, hey, you know, we need your help, does the government, federal government, step in and do something about it? And if they do, is that political reasons. Oh, I need that state to win an election. Um, and then what do other states do? Hey, do they all of a sudden, oh, you're handing out money, let me jump in. And I just don't see how the federal government can step in and help everybody. And, but if they, help, if they help anyone, then they should help everybody. And it's just, it's a huge number. Um, a lot of the research I did was, I used uh, two different sources, alec.org and Pew Charitable Trust each have some really good research on their websites about the whole pension issue. And I think even on your blog the other night, you had a chart showing different states. And I've seen similar ones that they do. And, you know, some states are starting to address it, but there's a lot of them that are just really underfunded. Um, even here in Vermont, you know, we're a very small state, but a report came out this summer, showed us about four and a half billion dollars underfunded in our, in our state plan, pension plans. And that comes to about $7,200 per person in the state. Mm. That if, if everyone in the state cut a check for $7,200, we could get that plan back to even. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I imagine a lot of people don't have $7,200 to donate to the right. state. And so another question will be, you know, with these promises that are, are being expected to come, come about right now or in the near future, um, I'd imagine there will be no adjustments or reallocation of funds to really address those issues. So not only will the pension situation be an issue, but then you'll have all the other uh, promises with services or whatnot that are also going to be impacted. So it can one day probably spell a complete meltdown in, 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 uh, in, in, the, in the States itself, and nevertheless our country, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, because what can happen is if they are already underfunded, and then you run into, like, like you're predicting, even some tougher economic times, well, that means their rate of return is going lower in the stock market. And they're probably receiving less tax revenue. So how are you going to go back to the taxpayer at that point and say, hey, I know you're hurting and you're out of a job and your 401k is now a 201k, 
but we need to uh, raise your taxes to fund these pension plans. It's just not a very uh, easy thing to ask for. And so, you know, unfortunately you get people that nobody wants to cut their pension and nobody wants to pay more taxes to fund it. And it's harder to get the higher rate of return. Those are the three main ways to make it stronger. So what do you do? You know, you pretend it's not there. You try to shuffle funds around. Um, you might, I think you're already already seeing it that some states might say, hey, we're going to have to lay off some people that work for us so that we can pay for the people that used to work for us. No. So you, you'll see services cut to pay for promises made. All right. What, I, what I've noticed in, in the state of Michigan here is that they've just basically redefined the concept of pension to where they pass more of the responsibility onto the employees directly in the form of a, I think it's a 403 B or four, some type of number that they put, they come, they came, they came up with to basically say, you have to now contribute more to your own future. We'll, we'll chip in on it, but yet now it's more on you. And so the current teachers, especially that I'm aware of now have more responsibility upon themselves to where the whole pension concept, because it's coming apart at the seams, they've changed it and put more responsibility on employees currently. And so I'm assuming that's going to be the model going forward in, in all states. Yeah, I think you're seeing more states address it, but little little bits. You know, they, no one wants to take the big jump and really make a radical change. So they're, yeah, I think they're increasing the percentages a little bit. They're, you know, longer work time required. Maybe it's not 20 or 25, maybe it's 30. So just little ways to tweak it so that they can have an easier way to make the payments. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing some states, I forget which one now has like a variable pension, where the pension benefit is actually based on how well they do in the market similar to what you'd see like in a 401k. So you might see more of that as well, where they're like trying to back away from that promise that maybe they can't fulfill. Because, um, you know, for years, a lot of these pension plans have assumed a rate of return of like seven and a half, eight percent 8%. And most of them come nowhere near to, to doing that. Um, you know, imagine a pension plan that wants to be, you know, pretty responsible and putting, you know, maybe 30, 40% of the money in, in safe bonds well, if those bonds are making two or three, that other portion that maybe at 60% has to make 10, 11% to get up to that 8% rate of return you're looking to get. So what you're seeing in some plans, they're trying to get more aggressive now. They're putting in hedge funds, private investments, illiquid things, trying to hope to get that rate of return so that they don't have to raise taxes or put more money in. They're just trying to grow their way out of the problem. And that's kind of risky, right? If, at some point, the market takes a hit or a big correction, and those things don't pan out. That's a that's a big gamble they just took. All right, I do agree. Now I see over your shoulder there, you have a copy of your book on the wall, undefined. There, would you have to have a copy handy? Yeah, yeah. So there's my book. <laughs> yeah, it's called Undefunded: The Fourth Solution. It's up on Amazon and it's on my website at DempseyInvestments.com as well, or All pretty right. much anywhere. Yeah. Now, now what made you decide to put that together and give us some of the contents of it and how it came about? Well, yeah. Thanks for asking. The book, you know, I've been following the topic, like I said, on sites like yours. And I I think it's a really critical issue. And I just had this idea for a fiction story because I think a lot of people just unfortunately don't follow it. I think your potential to grow your market for your for your site is going to be pretty big as people do start to follow it. But anyway, so I don't think enough people were paying attention. And I thought this might be a good way to get in front of people that don't follow the financial markets, the pension issues at all. Um, And so I took what I consider a nonfiction problem and just turned it into a fiction story. 
Um, I think, you know, my, my goal, the, the main character is actually an internet blogger. So she, she's blogging about the pension system and she gets pulled into this murder mystery story. And what I was hoping to do with the book, at the end of the day, if people who know nothing about pensions can read the book, enjoy it as a regular novel, um, but learn a little bit and say, oh, maybe, oh, now I know what they're talking about with a funding ratio or a rate of return. Maybe I should pay attention now. Then that's a win, you know. And so I'm, I'm hoping people can read it and enjoy it a little bit and, and learn and learn. Well, definitely. I'll link it. I'll link it beneath this video here. And so I want to definitely get your thoughts on uh, wealth preservation aspects. And so, of course, gold and silver, you know, monetary metals have been historically the way to go if you wanted to protect and preserve yourself, especially we're in a solely fiat and digital world now. Well, what are your thoughts on gold and silver? Is that something that you encourage your clients or recommend to your clients? Or do you talk much about that at all? I do talk about it. Honestly, um, I, I own some myself, of course. and. Uh, even using some of the, you know, some actual bullion, some ETFs, um, even places like gold money, um, looking for all, all the, and then individual stocks that, you know, get into mining. Um, it, it's been a tough sell because it hasn't performed until recently, until this year, it's been a, a drought in the uh, performance. But uh, I talk about it and if clients, if they are interested and say, yeah, that's a concern I have, then I'm going to, you know, go further into it, talk about it. and, and show them some sites where they can buy some bullion. So I have had some clients that agree that that's a concern and they want to buy some. And, you know, I, I certainly encourage that. Right. Now I kind of think of it as almost like insurance, you know, like I don't, I don't want my gold and silver to go up a lot because that means everything else is, is falling apart, but it's good to know. And it's that old, does it help you sleep a little better? I mean, if the answer is yes, then I think you should buy some. Right. Now, with with your clients that happen to be probably a little bit older, and which means they've been around and they've had a chance to go through some policy implementations throughout the years, whether it be the gold window with Nixon being closed, as well as just a, a silver in our coinage years and years ago. And so have you ever come across people who are completely oblivious to the idea that gold and silver used to be money or is currently money, but not in legal tender form where you can actually use it still? I, I would say most don't really give it a second thought. They have, they don't really know much about that. Um, and I always get a little frustrated, even like in my industry, there's a lot of investment advisors that you mentioned gold and they just, yeah, they won't, won't touch it. And they'll always reference that, oh, since, you know, last 10 years or 20 years hasn't done much. And then people, you know, I think what they should be looking at is when did the rules change? So if you go back to 71 and say, well, how's it done since then? It's actually been a pretty decent performer and a great diversifier, um, albeit on its own, it can be very volatile. But if you're buying it for the reason of, as a hedge and a, and a protection, then I think it can do that. Um, but yeah, most people, I sadly, don't really know a lot about it. I haven't really thought about it. I get very few people that would come to me saying, hey, I want to buy gold and silver. Um, but I do try to talk about it and, and show them the benefits of doing so. Uh, it's one of the things where we know that because of monetary policy and all the things that are occurring, it's only just a matter of time before more of the subject matter we talked about today with retirement planning and as well as pensions will come to the surface and people will have to address those issues. And so metals will be a good way to hedge and some people consider it insurance. For me personally, I just consider it as having just money in your possession and everything on top of that you're building with and hoping for it to grow. 
such right. as uh, uh, the things that you're working on here. So, Donald Dempsey, I appreciate you joining us here on Rethinking a Dollar. Any last thoughts you want to leave us with in regards to preparation, how to plan, and anything of that nature? Okay. Well, I think that you know planning is important, and just and trying to figure out where you are now and where you're trying to get to, and you know whether it's saving more, um, you know building up your wealth, building up your skill set, paying down debt, and you know even like we go back to like the states. If I was running a plan for somebody, one question might come out is, well, where do you live? Is that state in trouble financially? You know, and if so, maybe you, you have to assume that your tax rates are going up, your property tax bills can be going up. So maybe you maybe you have to even consider moving if, if money's tight and your state's in trouble. I might assume an even higher rate of uh, expenses going forward. Um, but yeah, I think I think just staying learning as much as you can, being knowledgeable, hedging your bets, buying some gold, some silver uh, is a good thing to do. It's a way to protect yourself because. Yeah, things could get rocky down the road if, if we can't address the problems that we have in this country with deficits and spending and all those issues. Yeah, I do agree. Well, once again, Donald, it's been great having you here on Rethinking a Dollar. Can you uh, direct people back to where they can find out more about your services? And I'll also include a link to the, to the book beneath us. But can you uh, share some information as where people can find you at? Okay, yeah. So my website is DempseyInvestments.com. So that's plural. Um, and the book itself could be linked through my website or pretty much anywhere online, Amazon, of course, and, and other sites as well. And um, it's got a paperback and a ebook version. So I've gotten pretty good reviews. People seem to like it, and nobody's felt overwhelmed about the terminology. Certainly none of your readers would and listeners, but uh, thank you for that. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.